everybody. Welcome to the Kapow Radio Show. Today, on... <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> That's all right, man. Well, today's date is June 12, 2017. Cool. We're going to continue on with our Enochian studies, the best in the world. And I'll tell you what, I appreciate everybody who's been emailing us or contacting us about these studies and what it's done for your lives and how it's opened you up because um, that's what this is all about. It's fantastic stuff. And you can see why it's been suppressed by the Roman Catholic church and now evangelical Christianity for all of these years. But the book is making a comeback in these last days to those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen. Today, we're going to talk about God's 7,000 year plan as it relates to Enoch, God's 7,000 year plan. If you're not familiar with this, after we get done talking about 20 minutes here, we are going to play an audio, an audio uh, teaching from a group called the Christadelphians, Christadelphians.org. They're out of the UK. This is by far the best teaching I have heard on the 7,000-year plan. It's about a 45-minute video. You can find it on YouTube. And after this show posts on our Facebook page, I will put a link to that YouTube video under the post, okay? So you can just click it and watch that video because he has a little PowerPoint that goes with it. Get your head around the 7,000-year plan, and you will understand exactly where you're at today. And we are on, we're not talking, by far, we're not talking uh, predictions of dates or anything like that. No one knows the time or the hour. It makes sense. It'll make sense to you why no one could know the time or the hour but God, because he's, he's the only one who knows the exact time, God's time, that he created creation. Right. No one else knows that. So um, you'll understand that. So we don't we don't start from this date and work backwards. We start from the zero date of creation and work forwards. And we know we're at the very end of time. And uh, but we don't know exactly when that end will come. But it's a beautiful thing to know that we are in the last days and that we do have a purpose in these last days. And um, you're going to it's going to open up to you, folks. It really is. Amen. So God's 7000 year plan. It's not a theory. This is a fact. It's biblical. The Bible, it's all in the Bible. It's all about the millennium, the seventh day rest. God has had his plan laid out from the beginning of creation. The ancient Jews knew it. The ancient Jewish writers and the Targum knew it. Jesus knew it, Paul knew it, Peter knew it, everybody knew it. The early church writers, I can, I'm not going to take the time on this show, but I can go over, over dozens and dozens of early church fathers that believed in the 7,000 year plan of God. Dozens. Mm -hmm. The early Catholic church, before they got messed up in the fourth century with Constantine, believed it. Um, the Catholic Church believed it for years until what this not uh, Pope Francis, but the Pope before him was it Benedict. Mm -hmm. He decided not to believe it anymore. And uh, anyway, it's been repressed for for years now, for about fifteen hundred years. There's a couple of groups out there who still teach it, but they're very small groups, like the Church of God, and um, they also have very good teaching on it. Also, 
But no wonder it's been repressed. It's something that Lucifer and the fallen angels do not want Christians to know. That's why they scramble around. Christians scramble around, go to prophecy conferences, follow crystal skulls and Nephilim heads and all that stuff because they don't understand God's 7,000 year plan and where we're at. Once you understand it, it opens up. All right. Amen. Okay. The number seven is super, super, super duper important in God's word. As you know, you can't read the Bible without seeing sevens everywhere. And in Enoch, here's the tie. Enoch And we're going to talk about this. This is just the introduction today of the 7,000 year plan. And then in the next couple of weeks, Linda and I are going to break down Enoch's 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. Because in those 10 weeks, God gave Enoch the whole plan of humanity, not just Israel or anything like that. It's the whole plan for all of humanity from the beginning to the end. Isn't it? I think so. It really is. And so we're going to talk about those 10 weeks in future shows and break it down. But let me just say this as an introduction. Enoch writes about 10 weeks. Each week or a unit of time equals 700 years. There's 10 weeks. So 700 times 10 equals 7,000 years. It coincides exactly with God's 7,000 year plan. The only difference is. Enoch is counting the time and the things that are happening within the 700 year blocks. And there are 10 of them. You will find throughout the Bible, including Daniel, and I'll get into that. There's different ways to approach or different perspectives to look at prophecy and what's going to happen. But it all ends up being 7000 years. That's the beauty of it. And let me just read this to you. In Enoch 93, 3, chapter 93, verse 3, he says, I was born in the seventh part of the first week. Hmm. I was born in the seventh part of the first week. The seventh part, folks, of the week is 700 out of a thousand Enoch understood in this verse that a week is a thousand years. A day to the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. That's what Peter writes in two Peter uh, three, eight. So Enoch says that he was born in the seventh part of that first week, which is a thousand years. Well, what would be the seventh part? That's that's around the 700 year mark. That is the part for, that is like 700 out of a thousand. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's, here's where we calculate. We start from year zero, not year one. Year zero is the date of creation. We don't know when that is. Only God knows that. That's why only God knows the time that the 7,000 uh, year will begin the millennial rest. Yeah. He's the perfect timekeeper. He's the perfect timekeeper. Exactly. And no one could change that. The fallen angels can't change that. Nothing can change that. Only God knows the angels don't even know because he knows when creation was made. And at the end of the 6,000 year mark, we see we labor for 6,000 years. And on the seventh day we rest. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. So Enoch was born in the seventh part of that first week. 
So starting from year zero, we know biblically that Enoch was born 622 years. He was born 622 years from creation. That's the seventh part, year zero. And then you go one, two, three, four, five, six to 622. That's the seventh part. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. We don't start from year one. If you started from year one, the seventh part would be 722. But Enoch was born in 622. You start from year zero. That's the beginning of creation. This is the way it's understood biblically. The ancient Jews knew this. Everybody knew this until about the fourth century on when we lost this teaching. So from year zero to 622 is Enoch's birth. The seventh part, zero to 622, like I said, it's not one to 622, zero to 622. Am, am I repeating myself or is that clear? Ms. Kapow? That's pretty clear. You think that's clear? Mm-hmm. Okay. The other point is we have to understand that Enoch in this verse, I was born in the seventh part of the first week, is that Enoch is making a division of time as weeks. He's making a division of time as weeks. Each division is 700 years. So 10 weeks times 700 equals 7,000 years. So what he puts into these prophecies he says these events or this highlight, these highlights will happen within these 700 year blocks. And there's going to be 10 of them. And like I said, in the future shows, we're going to get into this because you're going to follow this and you're going to see it historically happening. You're going to see it, how it has happened historically. This prophecy has come true eight out of the nine times. And here we are living in the ninth week. And then the 10th week is our Sabbath. That's the millennium. I, I remember growing up in church and I, and also, you know, when I came back to the Lord in 2006, hearing Bible teachers say that the word millennium contained in revelation is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. And so it confused them. So now you have people like all millennia, all millennialists who don't believe in a millennium or premillennialist or postmillennialist. You know, you have all these people. That's because they didn't understand the word of God. Mm-hmm. But the millennium is all through the Bible. The millennium is God's seventh day rest. Amen. So if it's God's, and it is God's seventh day rest, that's what the millennium is. So when you're, when we are raptured and we spend a thousand years, the, a millennium with Christ in heaven, that means that that seventh day rest, there has to be six days prior to that. Mm-hmm. That's the labor that's going on right here on earth. You get that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Real quick, let me move on to Daniel. Daniel 9.24. Daniel talks about a, uh, a week. He talks about, well, the angel, Gabriel, gives Daniel 70 weeks. Now, each week has a seven-year period. And you will get, when you listen to this audio that we're going to play to you, you will understand that God uses the sevens to apply to days, to years, to months, to thousands of years. And in Enoch, there's 700-year periods. 
Do you get it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's seven is really important and they're units of seven. So in Daniel 924, the angel Gabriel tells Daniel, let me read it so I don't mess it up. Um, verse 24, the, the, uh, the angel tells Daniel that 70 weeks, seven, zero, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And you understand, Daniel, you know, we study this a lot, but 70 weeks are determined for who? For all the world, for the Gentiles, for you and me? No, I'm sorry, folks. Too many Bible prophecy teachers are taking Daniel 70 weeks, mixing it up with Paul's man of lawlessness, mixing it up with Revelation, the beast, and they're coming up with something that's absolutely not true. Mm. The 70 weeks are determined for thy people and upon thy holy city. The Jews. Daniel was praying for the Jews, his people. The 70 weeks are for the Jews. Enoch's 10 weeks are for all of humanity. And God's 7,000 year plan is for all of humanity. This is specifically for the Jewish nation. And these things happened. But my point is, is that the scriptures in Daniel, they use a week as a seven year period. 70 weeks are determined for thy people, for thy holy city. And a week in this context equals a week of sevens. So there's 70 weeks Time seven, that's 490 years. And we know that from this passage here, it has it had predicted uh, the the Messiah, who they call the Messiah here, uh, which was King Cyrus, the very first one that gave the commandment to go out and rebuild Jerusalem and that Ezra and Hezekiah and uh, Joshua went out and uh, rebuilt that city in troublesome times and it took 69 weeks 69 weeks 69 units of seven and at the end at the end of all of that then christ came he's the other messiah he's the uh, messiah just means anointed one in hebrew and uh, in an aramaic but this was in hebrew and he was cut off and that predicted christ and then it predicts AD 70 with the flood coming and desolations and the whole bit. And then in verse 27, that's where we get all crazy with the Antichrist stuff about him confirming the covenant in the last week and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm not going to get into all that teaching now, but it's, it's convoluted because we weren't understanding the totality of God's plan. This was determined for Israel. Am I making sense, Ms. Capel? Mm-hmm. Okay. And like I said, I'm not going to take the time right now, but I can go on and on and give you dozens of early church fathers and references of 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 scholars and men and uh, people that believed wholeheartedly in God's 7,000-year plan. <clears throat> so what we're going to see here is there's a 7,000-year plan of God, and it goes right it starts right with the six day creation and then the seventh day rest 
Now, there are some people out there who's going, well, the Earth is much older than 6,000 years. You know, science has proven, and we found this and that and that. It's much older than 6,000 years. I'm not here to refute that. What I'm saying is from the time that God created the world as we know it today, it's been 6,000 years. There are some who believe in a pre-Adamite race or a pre-Adamite world that was here before Adam. I'm not here to debate that, but there's a lot, you know, there is some evidence in Isaiah and some other scriptures, the world that then was Mm -hmm. um, to show that. The 7,000 year plan doesn't negate any of that. What it's talking about is from the beginning of creation of Adam and Eve, the creation of the world as we know it and time as we know it today. It's been 6,000 years. It's no older than that. But there could have been a world before that. That is. This doesn't have anything to do with that world. That world's already gone. Right. Right. So a six day creation and a seventh day rest. The speaker that you're going to hear on the audio will explain this in much greater detail. Uh, you need to know that in Second Peter 3, 8, Peter says that a day to the Lord is as a thousand years. It's like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. He said that in the middle of a prophecy when he's talking about prophecy. Uh, this wasn't just a saying. This is what what they knew, what they believed. Um, the ancient book of Barnabas in chapter 13, three through five talked about the same thing. And let me just, um, let me just read that a little bit for you that, um, let's see. Second Peter three, eight says, beloved, be not ignorant. Check that out. Don't be stupid. Don't be ignorant of this one thing. So Peter believed this as a fact. This wasn't a theory for Peter. This wasn't something he was just saying or pulling out of his hat. This is something that he said, don't be ignorant of this one thing that one day with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. That's some serious stuff, folks. That's right. That's some serious stuff. The book of Barnabas, chapter 13, verses three through five says, and God made in six days the works of his hands and he finished them on the seventh day. Consider, children, what that signifies. He finished them in six days. The meaning it is this, that in 6,000 years, the Lord will bring all things to an end. For with him, one day is a thousand years. As himself testified, saying, behold, this day shall be as a thousand years. Therefore, children, in six days, example, 6,000 years, shall all things be accomplished. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we do know that the early church believed this very much. The early church, it was interpreted that God's total dealings with man's, uh, the creation of Adam to the end of the millennium would be 7,000 years. And the seventh day of creation was a 24 hour day of rest. The seventh day of God's dealing with man will be a thousand year period of rest. Um, So however you want to look at creation, you know, as a 24-hour period or a 1,000-year day, it matters little. We know that at the end of 6,000 years, it's finished. 
Amen. All right. The, the other writers who talked about this are us, Paul and Linda. And we wrote about this in our book, Eyes to See Unseen Enemies. And here's where I give a shameless commercial. No, I, I don't give a shameless commercial. We actually did write about this in Eyes to See Unseen Enemies. And it's under a chapter that we entitled Living Under Covenant. Because in, in the book, we, we talk about the, the weird, strange things that have happened to the evangelical church, the Church of Christ, and how that building is occult and corrupt in that organization. So if you've never read our book or books, you don't understand what I'm talking about. Get this book. It's available on Amazon. It is an excellent book. I'm just, I'm saying it really is. And we talk about the corruption of the church, but we also talk about how to live a Christian life. And in one chapter, we talk about keeping in covenant and we break down the 10 commandments and what that means for us. Yeah. Those are God's moral law. So this particular thing that Ms. Kapow is going to read is the fourth stipulation in the 10 stipulations, the 10 commandments. The fourth stipulation is keep the Sabbath day holy. And we wrote about this. So uh, she's going to read what we wrote about the 7,000 year plan. And we wrote about this, what, in 2011 or something like this. Okay, here we go. Okay. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but in the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Exodus twenty eight through 11 Christians have all sorts of ideas and misconceptions about the fourth commandment. Most ignore it because they do not understand it or place them and others under the ceremonial law of observing Saturday worship with no other activity allowed. We propose to do neither. First, let us dissect the meaning behind keeping the Sabbath holy. Why is the separation of the seventh day from the other six days important to God? Because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore he blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Because God labored for six days in creating the earth and ceased from his labor on the seventh day, he separated or made holy that seventh day from the other six. Thus, reflection or remembrance of the seventh day is tied into God's creation of the cosmos and into his rest after the labor associated with, other, with our material universe. God rested and he wants us to rest because at the end of the age, when all wickedness on earth is destroyed, we will all rest in God's new heaven and new earth. So the Sabbath observant is prophetic. Taking a day off from all our regular labor, labors to reflect, recall, or remember God's mighty works in creation and the mighty works he will do in the new creation is all he is asking us to do. A simple observance and reflection is all that is required. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, the reason stated for separating the seventh day from the other six was so Israel could recall or remember what God had done for them. That thou was a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy 5, 12-15 
The same commandment of repose and reflection on the mighty works of God are contained in Deuteronomy as well as in Exodus. It is too prophetic. Just as God rescued, delivered, and brought out His people from the land of bondage and slavery, He will also one day rescue, deliver, and bring out His ecclesia from the satanic bondage of this present worldly system of Lucifer. Thus, the command to keep the Sabbath holy is no more than taking a day off from the matrix of satanic bondage and work, and reflecting on the great works of God in our behalf, both in the past and in the future. It is possessing what we refer to as the eternal mind. Ancient Israel, as well as the early church of the first century, believed that our current world operating under the fallen angel Lucifer would last 6,000 years and then would be destroying, I'm sorry, that would be destroyed along with all evil at the end of that period. The final thousand year period after the destruction of Satan's kingdom would be the millennial Sabbath rest. One can understand the symbolism of six days of labor and the seventh day of rest. Just as God labored for six days in creating the cosmos and then rested, we will labor for 6,000 years before finding rest from our servitude. This is the end of the age or the end of time. An early first century letter that circulated among the early church had the, the title Epistle of Barnabas. This letter is not in our canonized Bible and exists in revealing some important concepts and teachings of the first century Christianity. We quote it here only to demonstrate the thinking of some of the early church regarding the Sabbath. The writer of the Epistle of Barnabas explains this concept of God's Sabbath as outlined in the Ten Commandments. He speaks, too, of the Sabbath in the beginning of the creation, and God made in six days the works of His hands and finished them on the seventh day and rested in it and sanctified it. Consider, my children, what signify the words, He finished them in six days. They mean this, that in six thousand years the Lord will make an end of all things, for a day is with him as a thousand years, and he himself beareth witness unto me, saying, Behold, this day a day shall be as a thousand years. Therefore, my children, in six days, that is, in six thousand years, shall all things be brought to an end. And the words he rested on the seventh day signify this. After that his son has come, and has caused to cease the time of the wicked one, and has judged the ungodly, and changed the sun and the moon and the stars, then shall he rest well on the seventh day. Barnabas fifteen three through 6 In support of Barnabas' commentary on many scriptures, which state that the Sabbath is a sign, omen, or a mark to be observed, the question is, what is the Sabbath pointing to, if not eternal rest? Exodus thirty one thirteen through 17 twice refers to the Sabbath as a sign. Ezekiel 20, chapter 20 refers to the Sabbath twice as being a sign. And in Leviticus chapter 25, the Sabbath is referred to as years rather than days when commanding a seventh year rest for the land. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 contains teaching about the Sabbath rest. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Perhaps the period of 7,000 years from creation to Sabbath rest is mentioned in Revelation chapter 20. If the millennium rest is a thousand year span, then it is logical to assume that it is preceded by a 6,000 year span of labor. When referring to a millennial thousand year Sabbath, the writer of the epistle of Barnabas states, 
for a day is with him as a thousand years. And we find scriptural support in Psalms 94, or chapter 90, verse 4. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and they watch in the night. Additionally, Second Peter 3.8 admonishes us, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. We heard a pastor say that biblical prophecy should be left to the theological wizards. This church leader refused to teach the congregation anything about God's prophetic plan, but instead wallowed in feel-good motivational self-help sermons, which gave him much adoration from his followers. This is a violation in not recalling the Sabbath rest and separating it from everything else. We must take a rest from our labors to contemplate God's redemptive prophetic plan. We are to remember all of God's mighty works both in the past and in the future. We are commanded in the fourth stipulation to have an eternal mind, and the book of Revelation 20.10 declares, For the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. Wow, that's a good book. That's a good little uh, little blurb there. Mm-hmm. If you haven't got the book, Eyes to See Unseen Enemies, it's available on Amazon.com, both in ebook and paperback. Or you can go to fifthhookmedia.com, find out more information about it. Or our Facebook page, Fifth Hook Media Facebook page, we have a store right there, and it will click right on it. I suggest you get it. There's a lot in there um, that's very helpful. So without further ado, we are going to play this audio clip. It's from a group called ChristiaDelphians.org.uk. The... ChristaDelphians.org.uk The ChristaDelphians.org.uk And they have videos on the website and whatnot. And I will place a link under the show when I post it on Facebook page so you can see what, uh, what materials they used on the PowerPoint or whatever, so that you can see what he's talking about. Um, I suggest you listen to it. Try to get your head around it. It's not difficult. The 7,000 year plan. This is the best I've heard anybody put, put this forth. Definitely. A lot of people, um, there are other people talking about this. Uh, some people make the mistake uh, on, well, I heard one guy talk about the fourth day. When God created the sun, you know, the sun comes. Well, the fourth day is when Jesus came. It was in the 4,000 years of God's 7,000 year plan when the Messiah came and he was crucified at the end of that 4,000 years. Pentecost began right around that 5,000 mark. That's why Peter jumped up on the day of Pentecost and said, this is that spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days Mm -hmm. because it began the last days. Um, in other words, if I was on vacation for seven days and I told you, hey, my vacation's about over, it's the last days of my vacation, would you think I still had seven days left, 15 days left, three days? No, I only had a couple of days left. So that began the, the last days. And uh, But anyways, I, we heard one guy misrepresent that fourth day and place Christ coming like in the fifth day or something, you know. Um, so you, not everybody has this down. These particular people, the Christian Delphians have it down. Also the church of God, 
has been teaching this stuff uh, for a long time, uh, at least since the 1950s. And they have it down also. Okay, and we have it down. And we're going to share that with you. So um, that's where it's from. And so listen to the audio. Get your head around it because it really is the key to opening up a lot of biblical prophecy. You'll understand Daniel. You'll understand the book of Revelation a whole lot better. Enoch will enlighten all that stuff. Also, the key will open up and you'll go, wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You start looking up your redemptions drawing nigh. I mean, really, Um, this this is for the. The spiritually mature and those who want to go deeper into the things right. of God and who don't want to miss that bus when it comes. Amen. All right. So God bless you. And we'll talk to you next week and give them a good night. Miss Kapow. Ciao, babies. In commencing this evening, I wanted to, to say something about the importance of the number seven. And I'd like you to ask yourself this question. Why? Is a week made up of seven days? Why is it not five days or six days or eight days or ten days, for example? Why is the week which we use, why is it made up of seven days? And ladies and gentlemen, it is not that countries haven't experimented with other periods. For example, In 1793, the French Republic adopted a 10-day week. But just eight years later, in 1801, it reverted to a 7-day week. The Soviet Union, in 1929, adopted a 5-day week. Later again, it adopted a 6-day week. But then in 1940, it reverted again to a seven-day week. So we pose this question, why seven days? And you know, ladies and gentlemen, a seven-day week is almost universal around the world. A seven-day week is the ISO standard and the ISO are the initials of the International Standards Organization. It is an organization which sets out standards for member countries on a whole range of subjects. It was formed in 1947. It has 159 member countries. In other words, nearly every country in the world subscribes to the standards of the International Standards Organization. Its headquarters is in Geneva in Switzerland. And a seven-day week is the international standard specified in ISO document 8601. But again, ladies and gentlemen, we ask the question, but why seven Days. And the answer is because from the beginning of human existence, God established time cycles based on the number seven. Seven days is the weekly time period set out in the Bible in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. 
a seven-day week is the divine time cycle. And what you'll find as you study your Bible is that seven is a very important number biblically. Let's go back to the section of the scripture which our chairman read for us this evening, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And you might have noticed that as we read what it says in verse 5, for example, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. You see, the creation week comprised seven days of 24 hours made up of evening, that is darkness, and morning, that is light. In God's scheme of things, a day starts with 12 hours of darkness followed by 12 hours of light, and that's why you get that expression. The evening and the morning were the first day, as we have just read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 5. But come down to verse 8. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Verse 13. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 19. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Verse 23. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And then, as the record goes on, we come to the seventh day of rest in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all the work which he had created and made. So you see, a seven-day week, that is six days of toil, followed by one day of rest, became the basis of life on earth as established by God from the beginning of human existence 6,000 years ago. Now, when God took his people, that is the Jewish people, out of Exodus, out of Egypt, when they came out in the Exodus, God commanded them to observe a seven-day week. So if you come to the next book in the Bible, if you come to Exodus and the 20th chapter, there we read, commencing in verse 8, Exodus 20 and verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labour and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And in it thou shalt not do any work Neither thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor any stranger, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all in them that in them is, and rested the seventh day. 
Wherefore God blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so the conclusion, the only conclusion which we can reach, ladies and gentlemen, is that seven is an important number in God's time cycles. Seven is an important number in God's time cycles. Now let's expand our exposition of the number seven in time periods. And we're going to go now from days to years. All right? Because what you'll find is that God didn't only command Israel to keep a seven-day week, but God had laws concerning seven years as well. So let's have a look. If we come to the book of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers. So let's come to Leviticus. Let's come to chapter 25 of Leviticus. And this is what we read. Leviticus 25 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt uh, prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest under the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field, field nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest, thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed. For it is a year of rest under the land. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee and for thy servant, and for thy maid, and for thy hired servant, and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee, and for thy cattle, and for the beast that are in thy land, shall all the increase thereof be meat. Now, what verses 5, 6 and 7 mean is that the farmer could not work or crop his land during the seventh year. But what grew naturally on his land, of its own accord, was available to him, his family, his servants and his animals for sustenance on a needs basis during that seventh year. So you see, there were not just seven-day time cycles, but seven-year time cycles as well. And in the Bible, what we find, as it find is that there are even longer time cycles. You see, ladies and gentlemen, because we are finite, because we only live 70 or 80 years, we tend to think in terms of days, of weeks, of, we, of months and of years, of perhaps of decades, perhaps of centuries. But God who is infinite, that is, eternal and everlasting, also thinks and works in much longer time frames. 
He works in time frames of thousands of years. So you'll come with me to the New Testament, Second Peter chapter three. Sorry, Second Epistle of Peter chapter three and verse eight. We read this: "But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing: that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and the thousand years as one day." In other words, what we would see as one day. So far as God is concerned, it's just like a thousand years, right? Because he is infinite while we are finite. So what we find is this. There are various time periods based on the number seven used in the Bible. There are days, there are weeks, there are months, there are decades, there are years, there are millenniums. And we can have a little summary. We're not going to go through all the verses which are on the screen, but here's a little summary of the sevens in the Bible. So we have the week, a week of seven days, and we've looked at that, haven't we, in the opening chapters of Genesis. And that's God's, number seven is God's basic time cycle. Six days of toil followed by a Sabbath of rest. But when you go through the Bible, you'll find that there is a week of weeks, that is, seven by seven days, 49 days. That was the time period under the law of Moses between the first of the feast rather of first fruits and the feast of Pentecost. And there are other references on the in the right hand column. Seven by seven, 49 days. But we also find in the Bible, a week of months, that is, seven by one month, or seven months. And you know, the first seven months of the Jewish religious year contain all seven of the Jewish feasts, all seven of them. And then we can have a week of years, that is, seven years. And so as we read in Leviticus 25, the Israelites were commanded to work the land for six years and then give the land a Sabbath rest every seventh year. Or we can have a week of weeks of years, that is seven by seven years or 49 years. And this is the time, the period of time between each celebration of the year of Jubilee every 50 years. So between the Jubilee years, of which occurred every 50th year, there was this period of seven by seven, this period of 49 years. Here we have, in example six, a week of decades, that is seven by 10 years. And 70 years is the lifespan allotted to man, as set out in Psalm 90 and verse 10. Well, we can have a week of weeks of decades, that is 7 by 7 by 10, or 7 by 70 years, that is 490 years. And this was the period of time revealed to the prophet Daniel, which would culminate in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Daniel was given a start point and told that seven by 70, 490 years later, 
the Lord Jesus Christ would not only be born, but in that 490th year, he would be crucified. And we can have as an eighth example a week of millenniums, that is 7,000 years, 7 by 1,000. And the seventh millennium will see the culmination of God's plan to convert the earth into his everlasting kingdom. That's what it will do. Now, if you just come across to Revelation chapter 20, you get an inkling concerning this. We'll come back and look at this a little more carefully a little later. But in Revelation 20 and verse 4, we read this, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them which were headed for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, nor received his mark in their forehead or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. A thousand years. Come down to verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now this is the seventh millennium. We've just read it in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. They reign with Christ a thousand years. And we're going to come back, God willing, and look at that text a little more carefully uh, in a moment. So here, set out in a diagram, is God's 7,000 year plan. We've got the seven periods of 1,000 years at the top of the diagram. We can see where Adam was born. We're not dealing with it this evening, but about 2,000 years later, Abraham was born. Christ was born here sometime in the latter part of the fourth millennium. This millennium, we are living here, somewhere in this period here. And we know that Christ will come approximately 2,000 years after his first advent. And so we are living here, and we believe that we are living in the area, in the eve, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what will happen when he comes is, this will usher in the seventh millennium, the seventh period of 1,000 years. In that period, as you can see in the yellow box, if we know it as the millennium, God's kingdom will be established upon the earth. Christ will be the king of the world. There will be righteous divine government in every nook and cranny of the earth. There will be worldwide peace, and the earth and the people will be at rest. So there we have it, set out in diagrammatic form. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as you come to understand your Bible, you come to realise that there is a correlation, there is a correlation between the seven days of the creation week and the seven 1,000-year periods, which we have just been speaking of when we dealt with the previous slide. Now let's just see if we can pick this up. 
In the first column, you've got what happened on day one, the days of the creation week. The correlation comes when we look at what happens in the first millennium or the second millennium. So day one correlates with the first millennium of human history. Now, we're not going to go into this in great detail, but I just want you to pick this up as something which you might like to study out for yourself. You remember when we read, our chairman read for us Genesis chapter 1 this, this evening, that we found on day one that light was diffused throughout the world. It's Genesis 1 verses 3 to 5. When you correlate that to the first millennium, what we find is the light of the word of God was available to mankind during the first millennium. Now, if you want a couple of texts on that, let's just come to Psalm 119. You'll find what the Word of God does. It is a light which is available to mankind, and it was available in the first millennium. So in Psalm 119, and at verse 105 we read, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, God had certain principles which he worked on in the seven days of the creation week. Those same basic principles he works on in the seven millennium which we have been speaking about this evening, which will lead, of course, to the whole world giving honour and glory to God at the end of the seventh millennium. So in day one, in Genesis chapter one, light was diffused throughout the world. The light of the word of God was available to mankind in the first millennium. On day two of the creation week, there was a separation between the clouds, that is the waters above and the waters below. In the second millennium, mankind was separated into two groups. And those two groups were, there were people with heavenly thinking and there were people with earthly thinking. And we could go and we could look at some texts in relation to that. But that was the situation because of the, 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 what had happened on the earth, God chose, he separated people with heavenly thinking from people with earthly thinking. On the third day of the creation week, the earth appears and the seas were formed. And in the third millennium, Israel, who is symbolically represented in the book of Revelation as the earth, Israel appears as a nation among the Gentiles. So on day three the earth appears, in the third millennium the nation of Israel, symbolised by the earth, appeared. On day four the sun and moon were seen, as we read in Genesis chapter 1 verses 14 and 19. And as I pointed out on the diagram, in the fourth millennium, Christ who is called the Son of Righteousness, 
In Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and is also referred to as the light as of the sun in the Gospel record by John, Christ, who is called the Son of Righteousness, was seen. And in Scripture, the moon is the symbol of the groups of believers, those which we call ecclesias. So on day four of the creation week, the sun and moon were seen. In the fourth millennium, Christ, the Son of Righteousness, was seen, and ecclesias were born. The Acts of the Apostles is about taking the gospel into all the world. And groups of believers were then formed over the then inhabited earth. So you see the correlation between the days of the creation week and the millennium. In day five, aquatic and aerial creatures were formed. In the fifth millennium, the gospel was preached to Gentiles, represented by aerial creatures, aquatic and aerial creatures in the Bible. And for example, in the book of Daniel, the nations are represented by those kind of symbols, by aquatic and aerial creatures. On day six of the creation week, there were the terrestrial animals, but not only that, Adam and Eve were formed, and they were married, and they were commanded to have dominion over the animal kingdom. In the sixth millennium, and where I pointed out we're now towards the end of that millennium, we will see, in a symbolic sense, the marriage of Christ to his bride, who will exercise dominion over the mortal inhabitants of the earth. Now, let's, so you'll see that I'm not stretching this. Let's come to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. Because here the Apostle Paul describes the true believers in a certain way. He laboured that he might be able to present them to Christ. And he uses a certain symbology, certain symbol, uh, symbolic language about it. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, he says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. He says concerning the Corinthian believers, I have espoused you, he says, to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. And if you like to uh, come across to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7, we have this statement. Revelation 19 and verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him for the marriage of the Lamb. And the Lamb is a symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. Now what that is saying is the groups of believers have made themselves ready to be the associates, to be united with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're expecting to see that. Not only expecting, we know that that will happen at the end of the sixth millennium. And then, of course, on day seven of the creation week, on day seven we read that everything was very good and God rested from his work. And in the seventh millennium, in the period after the 6,000 years, 
In the seventh millennium, the earth will have rest from war and injustice, and man will rest from the works of the flesh. You might like to come to Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 9 to 11. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Hebrews. And he says to them in chapter 4 and at verse 9, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And if you've got an Oxford Bible on your lap this evening, if you look into the margin, there remaineth therefore a rest, you'll find it says a keeping of the Sabbath. It's not talking about the seventh day Sabbath. It's talking about the Sabbath millennium. That's what it's talking about. And it says, There remaineth therefore a rest, a keeping of the Sabbath to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labour therefore to enter into that rest, to enter into the millennial rest. That's what Paul is saying. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. People who failed because of unbelief in the past. Now ladies and gentlemen, I said earlier in this talk that I'd come back and we would have a closer look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. So you might like to open your Bible to that particular scripture. Revelation chapter 20 and at verse 6. And it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. All right, well, let's just pause there for a moment. The first resurrection is that which occurs at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you keep your, well, the scripture, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 will be on the screen all the time while we're talking about it. So you might like now to come back to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and at verse 1, because this talks about the first resurrection. And Paul said to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, that is the living, and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now he's going to judge the dead. The dead have to be resurrected, don't they? If you come to First Thessalonians, that's uh, before Timothy, if you come to First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, you read this. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So you see, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 is speaking of a resurrection to eternal life. It's talking about the reward which people will get after the Lord Jesus Christ returns to the earth and after they appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's what Revelation is talking about. This is the first resurrection. There will be a second raising of the dead at the end of the seventh millennium for those who have died during that 1,000 years. But the first resurrection occurs at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. 
So blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. The second death hath no power. You see, the first death is that which happens to all humans naturally. It's that which happens to all humans naturally. The second death is the death which will take overtake those rejected by Christ when they appear before his judgment seat at his second coming. Let's have a look at the texts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now again, you might notice in that verse, if you've got an Oxford Bible, that there are certain words in italics. And in the authorised version, the English authorised version, when you have words in italics, what you are being told is that there are no equivalent Greek words in the original text. So let's read verse 10 and leave out the italicized, italicized words. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things in his body according to that he hath done, whether good or bad. So what that verse is teaching is this, that we're going to receive a bodily reward, one way or another. The bodily reward, if we have worshipped God acceptably and worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ, is that we will get a bodily reward of eternal life. But if we are rejected, we will get the bodily reward of eternal death. That's what we're being told in that verse. Uh, you might like to come to Revelation chapter 2 and at verse 11 on the same subject matter. Revelation chapter 2 and at verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches or the ecclesias as we would prefer to see it rendered. He that overcometh shall not be hurt at the second death. You see, if Christ returns, person is raised from the grave, if they're given immortality, if they're given eternal life, they will not be hurt of the second death. All right? Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. This is the seventh millennium. This one thousand years is the seventh millennium. And Christ will reign with the assistance of his immortal associates in that period. If you come back to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, we have a very clear promise as set out by the Apostle Paul in this verse. He says, If we suffer... That is, we suffer on the cause of Christ. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we suffer in Christ's cause, we shall also reign with him. Come to the fifth chapter of the Apocalypse, the fifth chapter 
of the book of Revelation. And here again we have the reward set out for those who faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read in Revelation 5 and verse 9 in somewhat symbolic language, but it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou, you see, it's addressed to Christ, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign upon the earth. And what the Bible teaches is that God's kingdom, as I said earlier in this address, is going to be established on a worldwide basis. It's going to be in every nook and cranny of the earth. So if you come across to Revelation chapter 11, and at verse 15, this is what we read, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And in Daniel chapter 2 and at verse 44, we have a verse which we use so frequently from this platform. Without going into all the background, we'll just take the verse as it stands. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And the verse teaches this, that all the kingdoms of men, or no matter of what political persuasion, no matter how they're constituted, they're all going to be destroyed, or going to be incorporated into the kingdom of God, the kingdom over which the Lord Jesus Christ will run. So, when we get to the end of the seventh period of 1,000 years, when we get to the end of the millennium, there will be a raising of those who have died during that period. Alright? This is the second resurrection, which is implied in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. All mortals will then appear before Christ to be judged. That is, the whole world, all the mortals of the whole world will appear before the Lord Jesus Christ. The accepted will be immortalized. The rejected will die. Let's come back to Revelation chapter 20. Let's just see that this is what it is saying. Revelation 20 and at verse 6, this is a verse we dealt with in detail a little while ago. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and will reign with him a thousand years. So this is, this is the commencement of the uh, millennium, the seventh period of 1,000 years. We come over to verse 12, we're dealing with what's going to happen at the end of the millennium. We're going to deal, deal here with what's going to happen to the mortals who have died during the millennium. And then if we read in verse 12, And I saw the dead, that is those that have died through the, during the millennium, small and great, 
stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books, according to their works. All right? So, at the end of the millennium, all the world's mortal population will be judged. If they've died during the millennium, they'll be raised, they will be judged, the accepted will be immortalised, and the rejected will suffer another death, a second death. They will die. And then, that having happened, of course, all the world's population will then be immortal. Death, as the last enemy, and that's how it is described biblically, it is the last enemy to be destroyed. Let's come back and look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Let's go back and read from verse 24. Then cometh the end. This is the end of the seventh millennium. This is after Christ's 1,000 year reign. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Now see the last statement on this slide. The kingdom will then be in a fit state to present to God. And then we read in verse 26, or verse 25, just reading it again, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And now the whole world's population is immortal. They have a glorious fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and a glorious fellowship with God. And in that state, the Lord Jesus Christ presents the kingdom which he has established upon the earth with God's power to God himself. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is God's 7,000-year plan with the earth. Now, knowing that would be of no consequence if it didn't affect you. And it can affect you, ladies and gentlemen. It can affect you. Because you can have an immortal part in that wonderful kingdom which the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return from heaven to establish here upon the earth. There are conditions laid down by which we can receive eternal life. We, for example, have to be baptised. We have to live in accordance with the commandments of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to honour God. We have to honour Christ. There are conditions laid down. But a marvellous hope is set before men and women. And we do hope that you will take the time to examine what God wants from you, as he has set it out in the Bible. You might be an immortal part of that glorious kingdom which is coming upon you.